I'm Greg Johnson. Welcome to Countercurrents Radio. I'm joined again today by Nathan D'Amigo of Identity Europa. Nathan, welcome back. How's it going, Greg? It's uh, great to be here. I always love uh, coming and talking to you. You guys in Identity Europa have been up to a lot, and I wanted to catch up, and specifically, I wanted to talk about a very successful event that you just had in, in San Francisco. So could you give us some background on that? Definitely. Um, for those of you guys who haven't seen, we recently hosted a, uh, a protest in San Francisco at Pier 14, which was actually the site uh, where a woman was murdered just several months ago by a uh, illegal immigrant who had broken his way into the country and been deported on like five different occasions. That's how absurd uh, this has become. And you know, there's uh, we believe that a large um, part of this is is the result of incentives and that uh, basically those who are running our government, whether that's on the city level like San Francisco municipality or whether it's on the state or federal level, we basically have a government that in a way profits from this type of uh, anarchy. There are laws that could very easily be enforced. And uh, new laws that could be put on the books that could, um, you know, de-incentivize de uh, illegal immigration very easily, whether it would be from, uh, in fact, one of the laws that was proposed after uh, Kate Steinle's murder was to um, was to actually anyone caught illegal in the country the second time after already being deported would have to serve a five year prison sentence. And that would, uh, you know, literally overnight uh, result in in pretty much self deportations, mass self deportations. You could also do the same thing with, say, an E-Verify system or something like that, in which uh, you know you could monitor businesses, and if they were caught hiring illegal immigrants, you could do something like they have in Arizona, where it's like a ten thousand fine, and then the second time around. It is, uh, you know, the, the businessman loses their license. So there's, there's all these things that could be done, but unfortunately we have this system of, uh, you know, Sam Francis referred to it as anarcho tyranny in which, uh, you know, the, the government kind of, at least those in power benefit from this, uh, the kind of shills and, and puppets who just are, are pretty sociopathic who, you know, like being seen as as people in power, even though all they're really doing is benefiting the corporate interests as far as things go. And that's what uh, that's what many of these corporate interests want. They want the slave uh, slave labor force that they can uh, import either legally or illegally. So what we want to do is we wanted to get out there and just um, really just just show that we were unhappy with with everything that was going on while the, the demonstration, the, the protest itself was done at Pier 14 and, and at the site of, uh, Kate Steinle's, uh, where, where she was murdered, which, which, uh, definitely dramatizes the scenario and grabs people's attention. But it was also to take a stand for, um, the same thing that's going on in other cities. This, uh, the sanctuary policy is something that's not just happening in San Francisco, it's happening in cities across the country. And I was actually recently informed, I didn't get a chance to see it, but I guess uh, Donald Trump actually mentioned this morning in a speech that he was giving that if he became president, he would actually see to it that cities such as San Francisco that have sanctuary laws in place uh, do not receive uh, federal funding. And I think that would be uh, a huge first step to to de-incentivizing this type of thing. Uh, we've really experienced this revolution from above over over decades and decades. It's something we haven't really wanted, but it's something that's been forced on us. And I think that at this point in time, the only way we're going to see change is by taking direct action and by putting pressure on the people uh, running things to to change what they're doing. So that being said, I feel the event was very successful. Um, we 
didn't manage to change the city's policy, and uh, I'm not sure that that would be an accurate way of measuring success. Um, there is so much more that comes from this, whether it is kind of the reaction from our opponents uh, or just getting into their head and kind of blackpilling them. And we can get into that a little bit later. We had these uh, Antifa guys, these very violent uh, anti-dialogical anarchists who who were trying to find out where we were going to have the event, who were <laughs> running around chasing ghosts basically all day. And, um, you know, whether whether it's uh, just getting these people kind of blackpilled and running running circles and, and demoralized, whether it's uh, pumping up our own base and giving them victories that they can rally behind. Uh, there's there's so much that comes from that. We got, uh, you know, over 10,000 views on uh, on YouTube. And, you know, we have we've probably pulled about another thousand followers on Twitter over the last month just from this. And then we had another campaign called Project Siege, where we were going around putting flyers up on college campus just to, to gain name recognition, but also actually going to campuses and talking to students. So we've we've really managed to start getting the ball rolling and, and building momentum. And that's another thing, too, with the movement is that, uh, you know, once you once you start to stagnate, you start to, to die. And um, and we want to make sure that we keep moving um, because because the opposite just really means uh, kind of just just a a uh, stagnation really just leads to death. So um, everything about this was really exciting and uh, it was a good experience for us. This was my first time leading something like this. So that's another really positive benefit that came out of this is just gaining experience doing these types of things. And uh, we had a we had a great time and it, it went well. Um, in fact, we were actually a little bit concerned that um, we might get fined or arrested. We did not have a permit. And uh, I feel that this is going to need to be the strategy moving forward, because uh, so often in the past, when pro white groups have held these types of rallies, they've gotten permits to do them and they've announced them ahead of time. And uh, as a result, they've kind of been closed off from the public. We've seen many of these rallies where um, uh, they basically have to put up railing for the protesters own safety from these Antifa people. Uh, I think a really good example of this recently is the uh, White Lives Matter uh, group that I've been seeing a lot out of uh, out of Texas. Kudos to them. They, they seem like they're doing pretty good stuff. But um, we didn't want to be closed off from people. We wanted to be able to engage the public uh, a little bit better. And if anyone was interested, we wanted to be able to actually talk to them. And uh, I, I think there's also a, a high level of shock value to what we were doing. And, and right as we uh, right as we launched this thing, you could tell that the people walking by were, were literally shocked. And it's something they're not going to forget uh, anytime soon. So that was really excellent. And uh, another good thing from that was uh, we actually did have, uh, you know, a, a squad car show up and uh, we had a guy set aside who went and uh and talk to them, let them know what we were doing, said, hey, you know, we've we've been here for 10 minutes. Uh, this is going to be a short demonstration. We're only going to be here for about another 10 to 15 minutes. And then we're going to pack it up and take off. We know we don't have a permit, but uh, we wanted to do this anyways. And uh, the the uh, police officers were, were fine with that. And uh, actually, from uh, what I was told, they were actually somewhat uh, happy with uh, what we're doing and excited that uh, someone was actually taking a stand on that. So um, that's uh, that's another thing that I, I think was really good was we learned that uh, perhaps uh, the the cops may sympathize with us quite a bit and and we might be able to get away with uh, a little bit more as far as things going with all the anti-cop rhetoric and stuff like that. We need to use this to our advantage and show them that we're uh, that we're not there to be against them and actually the thing some of the things we want will actually make their lives and their jobs easier. So there was just uh, all around good stuff with this and um, it went extraordinarily well. That's great. I'm, I'm excited by this. So let's go through a, a few details about this. Uh, I just want to get clear about some things. 
the the purpose was specifically to protest the sanctuary city status of San Francisco. Of course, it is unreasonable to say, well, you failed if they uh, still had their policy in place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, there are many points to doing things like this. Uh, you named some of them, uh, you know, building solidarity in our group, triggering the enemy. Uh, I think other things that are important is that it, it's great for normies to see that there is opposition to this. Just the mere fact that there's opposition to it, I think, is good. So I'm glad yeah, you did that. And I think we it actually also, we I, actually had uh, a couple people stop by. In fact, one gentleman just started clapping and cheering and he was dressed very nicely in a business suit and everything. Um, so, yeah, that's that's you're right. That's definitely good for them to see and the normies to see. And on top of that, I think and I guess one of the things I failed to mention earlier was I think that there was something very special about uh, this demonstration in particular is that uh, the gentlemen that were standing there were mostly all uh, college educated or, or in, in very serious professions. They were well groomed. And uh, that really helps us to smash through this false stereotype of, of those in the pro-white community. Uh, and I think that was an additional benefit of what we did. Right. Also, I, I just think that these things plant seeds in people's minds. Even people who might initially oppose what you're saying uh, might go away and think about this for a while. Just the fact that there is some visible opposition to the hegemony of these anti-white ideas, I think, is subversive, which is why Antifa types want to shut everything like this down uh, as soon as it, it rears its uh, head. So how did you guys prank the Antifa? Uh, what was your strategy there? <laughs> so basically how we pranked them was that uh, we had uh, announced this 48 hours prior and uh, Red Ice actually put out that we were going to be doing the event at San Francisco State University. And uh, specifically, I didn't even come up with this, specifically, uh, I believe it was MLKJ Plaza or uh, I think it was, was Malcolm, Malcolm X. X. Or, okay, maybe that's who it was. Yeah, Malcolm X. I wasn't even aware there was a plaza there named that. So it was. I thought that was pretty funny. And um, and the fact that we've just been doing Project Siege, which is uh, the idea of getting onto college campuses and laying siege to them you know we we don't have power within inside those institutions but we want to lay siege to them in a war of attrition until we find a way to break in um i think that kind of played into everything because they've been following us these antifa people have been following us for a while uh, they've been, even been coming to my school and trying to uh, intimidate me and stuff like that. And I think that really played into all of all of that. And and they actually some of them actually went there to that school. And we we never had uh, any intentions to go over to that school, though, to be honest, uh, I actually do want to go over there now and, and talk to students. Um, I think it would be something that would be really fun to do because we've already been doing it and that's just a school we haven't hit yet. But uh, after Red Ice put it out, that's it was very believable. And um, it was actually on the complete opposite side of uh, of the city from where we were. And we knew that by the time they got to us, we were only intending our demonstration to be about 20 to 25 minutes. So, um, you know, it just seems to work out very well, and uh, they they bought the bait. And I think one of the funniest things about it is that uh, even a a news crew uh, got a we got a helicopter off the ground and a news crew that went over there to try to film it. And they actually came over to where we were at and made it to us by the end of our demonstration, right as we were wrapping up, and. Um, Johnny Monoxide managed to uh, spot it out, and um, we weren't sure if they were uh, there for us or not, but they followed us for a couple blocks, and, and then we kind of saw an article later that actually said that uh, that helicopter was there for us and was looking to film what was going on. But, yeah, we, we just uh, put out false information. I think, uh, you know, there's there is, uh, you know, we're... 
we are in uh, a form of warfare. You know, it's cultural, and uh, and we've we do everything we can to uh, you know to launch what what would be a peaceful revolution. Um, but we are are in a, a form of warfare, and uh, part of warfare is using surprise and and kind of uh, this cloak and dagger and and things like that. And so, I feel that this worked out very well, and we want to continue to do this in the future. I think there's been some groups out in the UK who have used this technique before, and eventually. The uh, Antifa groups got so worn down and so tired of chasing ghosts that eventually um, it, it just didn't work anymore. And they, they could announce that they were coming out certain places and, and they met no opposition. So uh, this is something we want to do. And, and that's that's, I think, a, another point of this is it's really just this gr- cultural guerrilla warfare that we're waging. Um and I think it's something that's going to work. I, I, I mean, I, I feel that part of the alt-right in general has been partaking in this more and more. And I, I'd love to see more of it. There was uh, a school out in Michigan uh, just a couple of weeks ago where people put up a bunch of flyers with uh, some hate facts on there. And it it actually trolled the school into setting aside to reallocating like $85 million towards diversity programs that would actually could have been used for, uh, you know, scientific progress and research that actually uh, pulls in uh, more, more prestige for the school when they accomplish that. If they have big research coming out, that gets them prestige and that gets them the high ratings and, and that gets them the, uh, you know, the students that are, are coming from higher socioeconomic backgrounds that will pay more to go to school there. And so uh, the alt-right literally trolled this school into reallocating all these funds to these diversity programs. On top of that, uh, research just came out recently. It was like two months ago, I believe I saw this, where they showed that these diversity programs actually – have the opposite effect of what they're intended for, just like the D.A.R.E. programs were discovered to actually uh, kind of promote uh, drug use, which was the opposite effect. Uh, these people who are, are put through, specifically white people who are put through these diversity classes, are more likely to resist uh, this type of ideology in the future. So this is the stuff we need to keep doing. I mean, if, if, if people putting up like a hundred pieces of paper on a campus can, can cause that much uh, chaos and that much of an overreaction, then the future is looking really bright for us. Exactly. I think one of the things that we have to use to our advantage as a kind of multiplier effect, we have very little in the way of force, but our enemies have all kinds of power, and they're also extremely neurotic and easily triggered. <laughs> and if we can get them, uh, get their neurosis uh, working for us, uh, that can multiply the uh, effects of our activism tremendously. And I think that that's a really valuable form of asymmetrical cultural warfare. So. Let me ask you, how many people participated in your protest, and where did they come from? Were they local? Did they come from various spots around the country? How we had, you- yeah, we had about uh, we had about nine guys who actually took part. I would say about half of them were were locals. Probably about five of them were locals, and we had a couple guys who came from out of state who are actually. Um, actually very involved in their local regions and uh this was for them a learning experience uh and they're going to be able to take that back that was again a big part of this was as a training ground uh and and that's why we brought in some of these guys was we wanted them to have experience doing this because in the future uh, we're going to be doing the same sort of thing in cities across the country so uh, we did have a couple guys come in and, and, uh, it was, it was really nice that, uh, they were there to stand by us. We have, uh, a lot of locals here who just can't get involved. Uh, we understand that not everybody can get out there, can put their face out there and, uh, you know, not have to worry about, uh, the repercussions 
Um, but these guys are, are very much, uh, in many ways, anti-fragile. They've made themselves anti-fragile. And so um, they can, in fact, act as an avatar of our locals who can't be there. Um, but this has actually helped us grow even more locally. We have, uh, we've already had three or four more local people that even I'm just aware of at this time reach out to us, uh, as a result of this, as well as people across the country, uh, joining. We've got uh, just another wave of applications. It seems like, it seems like for the last six or seven months, we've just had this wave after wave after wave of applications that is almost, uh, feels impossible to keep up with. But, uh, yeah, there were, there were nine people there, nine, nine men who decided to take a stand and said, uh, you know what? Enough is enough. And I am going to, I am going to put myself out there. I'm going to, um, take a stand, uh, when no one else will. And that's, that's something that's even, I think, more powerful too, is just, just seeing people who are willing to sacrifice. Uh, themselves, they're willing to sacrifice, uh, the possibility of social ostracism, economic disenfranchisement in the form of po- the potential of, of being, uh, fired and, and laid off. Like I said, many of these people have made themselves, um, or put themselves in, in better, uh, positions, but there's, there's still always that threat looming that, uh, many of these, Many of these uh, anarchists will use. They will use the the capitalist system that uh, benefits from mass immigration, and will silence uh, dissenters by by laying them off. Uh, they they use this to their advantage. And so, to see these guys uh, take a stand is really really powerful because, you know, character I think used to be kind of doing what was right when no one is looking but I think now we live you know we live in a degenerate society and and in in the degenerate society doing character is kind of doing what's right when everybody is looking and uh, when when that can really bring perhaps a lot of uh, a lot of harm uh, potentially to you so that was something that I feel was uh, spectacular about this. I gotta give those guys a lot of credit. They they motivate uh, me to to keep pushing forward and to keep organizing more to get this type of of uh, stuff done. And it was amazing that uh, even some of their locals from where they came from helped help them put the money uh, together to get them out here. So we, we kind of have to look at these, and, and those were our guardians. We have, uh, Identity Europa has kind of two groups, uh, of members. We have, we have guardians and we have auxiliaries. And guardians are only perhaps a very small percentage of our overall organization. Actually, they're, they're like the tip of the iceberg. They're, they're only what you see. Um, and, uh, you know, they, uh, they are the guys who are going to be fighting for the rest of us. They're, they're, they're like our, they are our guardians. They are our soldiers. And just like in any normal, uh, society, you, you have men who have, uh, volunteered to sacrifice themselves on behalf of the whole, on behalf of the group. Um, at the same time, uh, you know, that group, is there to support them and to make uh, to make that a possibility through um, whether it be financial support, whether it be um, uh, moral support and uh, and whatnot. So this is this is a dynamic, I think, that is really going to work very well for us. And as we build these communities, our guardians will be able to stand up on behalf of the rest of the community. And in a sense, the community, uh, the auxiliary will be able to protect them from, um, from that, uh, you know, from, from the capitalist system that, that will, uh, try to destroy them economically. And so I, I think that's how, uh, we'll be able to move forward and everyone as a whole uh, will be able to benefit. That's, that's really well said. So can you tell me a little bit about the reactions that you got? You mentioned one <laughs> of the passers by. Yeah. Um, 
can you t- talk about some of the positive and negative uh, interactions? And you can you indicate about how many people you actually interacted with uh, who were outside your group during the course of this event? While we had nine guys, there were there were actually uh, several more people who were kind of standing aside for moral support for us. Um, so we did have more than nine people there. And some of them were interacting with people who were stopping and watching and were actually talking to them about uh, our organization, who we were and, and what we we're protesting. And uh, I, I think that during the entire protest, we probably had somewhere between maybe 400 to 500 people uh, pass by. It was the city, and they are used to demonstrations, so for the most part, people just kept walking, uh, which I think just having this this kind of apathy uh, towards what's going on is very common for city dwellers. Um, however, you could you could definitely tell that as people were walking by, that uh, they they knew exactly what we were saying, and uh, they they got it. I think that many of them perhaps like you were saying earlier, had never seen resistance to this sort of thing, and they will uh, certainly think about it later. Uh, some of them were kind of nervously laughing to each other as they were walking by. Um, a few others, uh, in fact, there was <laughs> this one lady who was uh, riding a bicycle by us and uh, just cussed us out. She was wearing uh, a purple T-shirt and purple pants, and um, she actually took a picture of us and come to find out we uh, we found the picture of us that she took online and we we <laughs> we found her account and surprise, surprise, her name echoes uh, throughout eternity. And um, and so that that wasn't much of a surprise we had. I don't know what it was with bicycles, because the only people who really cussed us out were riding bicycles. And uh, we had another gentleman we've kind of nicknamed Bubba Jay. And, uh, if anyone's uh, familiar with the, um, the guy who does the, uh, the puppets, gosh, I can't remember his name right now, but, um, Bubba Jay is a, is a character from a very, uh, famous, uh, puppeteer who's kind of this, uh, uh, kind of this, uh, hillbilly, uh, out of, you know, not very bright individual. And, uh, this guy was just a, a spitting image of, of this puppet, Bubba Jay. And, to be honest, uh, he did start to he stopped and started using the language of the cultural Marxist system, you know, uh, racist, you know, Nazi, this and that. And he didn't really have much else to say. And, and you know, I actually had the opportunity of, of you know, talking uh, back to him and responding to what he was saying. And, and I said, you know, this this language doesn't mean anything. Um, this is language that has been enculturated into you that is part of this capitalist system that you think you're defying uh, defying and i i don't think he's ever been talked to like that and i i don't think he really understood how to respond but i i think the fact that uh you know phenotypically this this gentleman resembled uh bubba jay i think that um i think that it's a, a really good analogy because bubba jay is essentially a puppet and uh, in the same way, I think this gentleman uh, did not realize that he is, in essence, you know, his his whole worldview has been crafted uh, by this this capitalist, uh, you know, system of anarcho tyranny that we're fighting against. And and he wasn't even aware of it, even the language that he uses, which shapes the framework of his worldview, uh, it has been completely shaped by the system that he thinks he's fighting. And so, you know, there was there was something there. There was something much deeper, I think, and and, and you know, bigger about this demonstration, and especially the interactions we had with these characters that came by that uh, really, really just shines a, a greater light and, and adds more meaning to things. So we only had, uh, I think those two individuals really stopped and, and cussed us out. There were a couple of people that just kind of laughed as, as they walked by. There was, in fact, a time I remember, uh, I was kind of on the bullhorn, um, just, just, uh, going on, on kind of a, uh, a monologue for a while. And there was a time where I saw, uh, two gentlemen, obviously of, 
uh, Amerindian heritage stop and, and look at me and see what I was saying. And I actually stopped and I, I was talking to them directly and I was, I was telling them, I said, uh, you know, those, those who have broken their way into this country illegally have, have basically forced themselves, uh, onto us like a, a thief in the night. And, um, this is our home. Uh, this is this is not their home and that they have a home and they have a people that they should go home to and that they should make great. And how could they you know, possibly ever expect us to respect them if uh, if they're not willing to fight and sacrifice for the future of their own people? How are we how are they going to make our country great again if if they're looking to run away from their problems? Um, that's not going to make our nation and our country great. And so what do we possibly uh, benefit them uh, from them being here? And why would we want someone of that character being in our nation? And uh, I saw actually kind of a, uh, at first I saw a look of anger and then I saw kind of a look of confusion as if uh, no one have, had ever been bold enough to state it to them like that. So I, in a way, I think this is, this is also how we should talk about this, how we should talk about mass immigration, whether it's legal or illegal, when people try to think they're kind of doing a good thing. Um, we, we, you know, we've often seen this pathological altruism where people feel like they're actually, uh, defending, uh, these individuals who are taking part in this, uh, in this replacement. And, um, I think that, uh, I think that when you put it in this way, I think it sheds an entirely new light on things because what's actually happening is that when we, when we promote, um, weakness, when we promote, um, unhealthy things, the only thing that we actually do is multiply that. Uh, we don't actually uh, fix it. We don't actually uh, confront it and make the world a better place. It just We just multiply weakness and degeneracy and uh, unhealthiness. And so I think that we, we need to show people, uh, you know, that we can provide a better world for them. Uh, and we need to get out of this, this slave morality that we have. And, you know, we can't just be people who come across as sticks in the mud. Uh, we can't just, you know, constantly say, no, don't do that. We can't be, uh, you know, we can't just be a group that's always saying no. Uh, same with the Republican Party. They can't always just be the party of no. Um, we we have to let people know that we are not heartless, but we're not fools either. And so uh, that was another thing that I think uh, really stuck out in my mind about the interactions that we were having with people. And uh, and again, I, I think that this is going to be something that added lots of shock value. And any time you do that, any time you shock uh, an individual's mind, it, it leaves a memory there. Uh, that kind of their the the synapses fit, kind of go into fixation in a way where they they don't forget that memory and so that's that's what we wanted to do and I think we were very successful at doing it. Again, that's that's really nicely put. You uh, had a banner and you were also speaking uh, on your uh, megaphone. How much time did you guys spend in advance? sort of getting your message down and your talking points together. Did you do chants? Uh, did you, um, or were you the only speaker? Just give us a little um, insight into the preparation, the mechanics of actually putting this event on. One of the great things that uh, Identity Europa has is this printer. We've actually named it the Trigger Printer uh, because <laughs> our message always seems to uh, make people want to uh, escape reality and, and go into their safe spaces. Um, and we want to kind of shock them out of out of that uh, that that false worldview that they have. 
But uh, one of the, the benefits about the investment that we've made in this is that the banner we had, uh, we actually printed off ourselves. And um, it took a little bit of time. Most of that was, was me just figuring out. I hadn't done a banner of that size before, and so I had to figure out uh, how, to, how to print it out directly from uh, the Photoshop file. I'd never, I'd never done any of that before, but it was a learning experience. And that's also good too for us in the future as a movement, because there may come a time, there may come a day in which, uh, it becomes much harder for us to get print resources and print materials. And so having someone within the movement with, uh, that type of knowledge is a very powerful thing. And maybe one day, uh, when we're, you know, in the future, I envision Identity Europa growing into a much larger institution, and that may be a service we may be able to provide to other pro-white organizations in the future, uh, perhaps at cost. So um, that took uh, that that didn't take me a whole lot of time to figure out, but uh, we got it done and knocked out. And and uh, nowadays, technology has just gotten to. Uh, an amazing point in which one person can just really do all that. I think 10, 15, 20 years ago, uh, getting a banner like this done would have taken 10 times more work. You, you might have had to approach an artist who would have been sympathetic to us. Uh, then you, you know, you may have had to spend all this money, uh, finding the right, uh, printer and maybe going through that awkward, uh, that, that awkwardness of, of telling the, the, the person you're, you're printing from exactly the message you want. So, uh, you know, that's really amazing what we've been able to do with this. And, uh, the banner said, uh, no sanction. Uh, let's make, uh, San Francisco safe again. Just a very, very simple message. I, I don't think we need to make it more complex than that. In fact, I think when you make your message too complex, it doesn't seem to stick as well. So, uh, we spent a little bit of time, uh, with that, probably about a week prior to the event. I, I got that put together. Uh, pretty quickly. We did the night before we came up with a number of chants, though we only really utilized one. Um, I, I'm trying to, uh, I'm kind of drawing blanks. We said, uh, no sanction, no quarter, get back on your side of the border. And I think that actually, uh, which is very blunt, I think that actually, that chant really shocked people because <laughs> it's just not something uh, that you expect to hear people say, and in this day and age, even saying something like that, even if we were uh, a non-identitarian group that was not an advocating for European ethnic interests, um, I think that would still be considered by many people in the current year something that is uh, racist, something that is xenophobic. So I think that was something that was even more shocking, but also the chant itself is one that it really uh, you have a, it just rhythmically it's it's something that your mind picks up on and you can't forget it and I, I had guys uh, actually telling me who had watched the event that they're like man I can't get that chant out of my mind now so um, chants are very important and getting the getting the wording down for that is really important. I can't take the credit for that. It was actually one of our local guys who came up with that. And as soon as I heard it, I knew it was perfect. It resonated really well. It rolled off the tongue. And because it, it did, it was mimetic. And, and we have to find things that resonate with the, with the average human mind so that uh, they can't forget it. Uh, just like the uh, you know, commercial advertising that has that obnoxious song you can't get out of your head, so you're always thinking about it. Uh, that's what we have to do with these sort of things. And so um, I think between the message with our banner, especially kind of uh, tapping in and, and co-opting the, uh, the Trump uh, message with uh, Make America Great Again, we said make uh, San Francisco safe again. And I think, uh, you know, tapping into that makes it uh, much harder for people to forget, and it's something that resonates with people. Actually, there was uh, there was an article recently I stumbled across uh, yesterday that uh, someone within the the tech industry was fired 
for talking about the the homeless issue in San Francisco. And it's really the, the homeless problem in San Francisco is really, really bad. And uh, again, it goes back to um, this this uh, slave morality in which talking about this as an issue is somehow oppressive to people who uh, are less fortunate. And as a result, all we really do is uh, multiply that that poverty. I mean, many of these people, if anyone has ever uh, talked to or met uh, homeless individuals, many of them have serious mental disorders. And not being able to to talk about that uh, is is very sad, in my opinion. Many of those people should be, uh, you know, in a healthy society. Many of these people would probably be institutionalized, and that's not a bad thing. That's not like, you know, a, a, a death sentence or something like that. I feel that many of these people would be much better off the streets. It would not only make San Francisco safe, but it would also make these people who are uh, living day to day with these severe mental disorders in a much better place. I mean, we—I can't tell you how many people we drove by just uh, sitting on cardboard, mumbling, talking to themselves, and and uh, just like sleeping in a, in a puddle of their own vomit. I mean, it's 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 horrifically sad that we're not taking care of our own people like this. And the fact that we can't talk about this, or the fact that someone would get fired for talking about it and for saying it's a problem. Uh, even if he didn't, you know, say it in the most socially responsible way, the fact that uh, he was essentially intimidated for for saying that, and and therefore other people are intimidated for talking about it in the future, only leads to only leads to a world that that um, propagates more poverty and and propagates an, an even more unhealthy society. So. Um, I, you know, I think it's just that, uh, we, we have to, we have to get, uh, I know I kind of went on a rabbit trail there, but we have to get our message down. We have to do something that resonates with people and we have to be, we have to, uh, speak truth to power and, um, and not be afraid of, of the system because I think as soon as, as soon as we can get, uh, the people to become emboldened and no longer afraid of this system, I, I feel it will lose all of its power. It's it's very much just held in place through through fear. And um, even if uh, a person themselves don't uh, think that what someone said was wrong, uh, maybe they said maybe they believe that the person could have said it in a better way, but don't necessarily believe there's anything wrong with what they said. Maybe that person may feel that, uh, you know, they're in a position of authority. They're like a manager or something at their, their work. Maybe they become really afraid that if they don't do something that then they will lose their job for not taking action against the person who said something that, uh, you know, maybe could have been worded better, but wasn't necessarily incorrect. And um, I, I think that's much of what we have is this culture of fear. And so that's I mean, that's what we have to do is we have to get out. We have to embolden people. We have to find a way to package our messaging in a way that resonates with people. And uh, that's that's a that's a, a kind of hard thing to do. But um but going back to to that because that was part of our prep and then we you know we had a, a little bit more prep going into this there was actually um I would really 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 like to talk about it but unfortunately I can't but uh I just want to say that there was um I would have to say our whole we we were there for actually the whole weekend and um we just planning it out and getting it everything Put together, and uh, this this whole event will get even more publicity than it already did because it is going to be put on uh, a, a cable uh, television show. So uh, well, that's exciting. There, yeah. Yes. Yes. It, it is. So you can't share anything about that right now. We'll just wait for it. But was there <laughs> yeah. was there any other publicity that came from this that you thought was noteworthy? 
Um, we again, we we got uh, we got lots of local coverage from San Francisco. In fact, I think that uh, I think that uh, one of them was actually very fair. We've had a lot of coverage recently, especially me, uh, because we've had uh, some of these Antifa groups are putting up flyers with me around my college campus and and trying to scare me and stuff like that, uh, which has been uh, kind of funny. It's uh, more than anything. Well, they're not as scary as being in a war in Iraq, I imagine. <laughs> no, they're really just barking up the wrong tree as far as some of this stuff goes. Um, but, you know, that's not to say the stuff that they're putting out isn't uh, flattering. Some of it's inaccurate. Uh, some of it's true, but uh, to be honest, really has uh, nothing to do with our message and is really just a distraction from what we're actually saying. And... Um, and so some of the, the local news has been, I feel, uh, pretty, pretty biased, pretty unfair. Um, there was, there was one inter- interview I did with a group. And I feel that that was, while maybe it wasn't the most flattering interview, I feel it was at least fair. They call this a pro-white group. Whereas some of these, uh, some of these other news, uh, you know, I should put square, scare quote, uh, <laughs> scare quotes in front of, uh, news. But some of these, some of these, uh, you know, cable news shows or local news shows have, have called our group supremacists and stuff like that, uh, just sensationalism and, uh, you know, uh, looking to intimidate people from joining us or, or getting more involved or even into researching what it is we're actually saying. But I actually feel that uh, there, w- there was one article in particular that came from, I think it was uh, a local uh, branch of ABC in San Francisco, and they just simply called us an uh, anti-immigration group um, that, uh, that was also uh, identitarian, and, and uh, that was really good. I, I think that there are so- still some people that uh, want to have some some journalistic integrity, and that's good to see. And I think, to be honest, I've been doing a number of interviews recently. Uh, I think, to be honest, I think there's a number of journalists who uh, are starting to very much sympathize with what we're saying. Uh, they, more than anybody, are more aware of the political events uh, and current events that have been happening over the last two or three years. Many of them are well aware of of the problems of this uh, of this pretty much invasion that's that's gone on in Europe, the state sponsored invasion, and they're aware of the problems it is causing. and um, And they've they've seemed like uh, they're fairly. Uh, sympathetic to us and i think you know we don't need them to necessarily cover us in a positive light but as long as they're honest i think that you know that's perhaps the most we can ask for that doesn't mean that what they're going to say isn't going to be uh necessarily flattering but if they can if they can be essentially non-biased in the way they're reporting and not use I think the biggest thing I have is them, them use, when they use this, uh, I, I consider it anti-white hate speech, which is just these loaded terms of racist, Nazi, bigot, xenophobe, those types of words. As long as they're not using those types of words, I think that uh, this type of coverage is very positive for us. I do want to caution you, though. One of the things that law enforcement and the press do to lull you into a false sense of security is feign sympathy with yes. you right they they do like to do that to try and get you comfortable and then they want to get you on record saying stuff that they can use against you but i i think that 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 is something to bear in mind given the fact that these people are constantly involved in uh, lies <laughs> and deception it, it is a little bit vain to think that you're an exception to that general pattern, and a lot of uh, a lot of people have these sorts of experiences with journalists, um, who you know they they intimate sympathy and so forth, uh, precisely to draw them out, and then they just uh, use it against them. But Nathan, I I think we should probably wrap this up because this is this has been about an hour. It's a really good discussion, uh, and I really appreciate this. Uh, you guys are bringing courage and teaching courage in a culture of 
fear and cowardice. And I think that that's really admirable. So just to wrap up, can you say a few words about what's next, some of the things that are coming up on the horizon? We want to keep pushing and we want to keep building momentum. And so one of the things that I think that's next is I'm going to be looking to doing a little bit of traveling over the next, say, six to eight months. And I'm going to try to help uh, our networks get to that next point of organization to where I'm basically going around and I am working with locals in different states and different cities and helping them um, learn like how they themselves can have an impact. And I think that's one of the things I've tried to do most with Identity Europa is, you know, I don't want IE to turn into something where, you know, it's just me and, and you know, I'm the leader of this group and, and this and that. This is This is a group that has been created to empower people to have something professional that they can get behind as well as empower them to uh, get active in their own communities and in their own cities and states and make an impact. And so that's what, what I'm going to you know. The plans moving forward are, are just that, are, are training individuals across the country to basically do the same thing I'm doing out here in California, and we can all kind of move forward together. So that's going to be uh, the future. We've got more plans as far as going to visiting colleges and schools. That's something that's been very positive for us. We've actually gotten really uh, positive reception from some of the students and had very good conversations, half-hour, 45-minute conversations with students about race and culture and identity that is going to you know, leave a, a massive seed that can uh, potentially grow into into something great. So that's going to be something we're going to be doing uh, moving forward in the future. Really uh, looking forward to seeing what happens here with this election. Either way, we're going to be pushing forward uh, irregardless what happens. Uh, but uh, I imagine that everybody right now is on their seats just waiting for this thing to be over so they know what the next step is. But, um, yeah, we're just going to keep moving forward because, uh, you know, even if even if, say, Donald Trump gets uh, elected, we still have a lot of work to do and we still have uh, tons of, of things we've got to do in order to start to turn things around and and uh, get them on the, the, the proper path. Uh, towards towards truth and a, and a healthy society. So uh, if anyone is interested, our website is IdentityEuropa.com. Pretty easy to find on any search engine. We've got a Twitter account, got Facebook. Um, please come find us. Come join our fraternity. We have uh, we are nationwide, basically every major metropolitan area. Uh, we've got a group there. So we would love to hear from you. Nathan, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a great conversation, and you guys are going to keep doing impressive stuff, and I'm going to keep calling you up to uh, <laughs> to talk about it. So thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you, Greg.